welcome to Additive Insight, your source for discussion, news and live event coverage under normal circumstances on the latest design to manufacturing technologies. I am your host, Laura Griffiths, Deputy Group Editor at TCT Magazine, and I am joined by... Sam Davis, Assistant Editor. And... Daniel O'Connor, Head of Content. Uh, we're very much used to recording uh, this podcast together, sometimes in awkward places just to find some peace and quiet on a busy trade show floor, but this is our very first remote recording, and it's very strange not seeing your two faces, I must say. <laughs> How are we both getting on? Um, yeah, not bad here. How about you? Not too bad. I've set up a nice little cosy cosy office here with a you know, nice little bit of sunlight coming in. So it's it's not too bad. I think if it was raining, I would feel a hundred times worse right now. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm doing okay. I've uh, I've implemented a hot desking policy. So uh, I'm starting <laughs> about the house from different locations. And I am coming live from my shed, <laughs> which is one of my two sheds. Uh, not to show off or anything, but I do have two sheds. Only one of them does have electric uh it's a way for me to escape the two-year-old in the house, but occasionally he comes out uh, and pops his head in. So be prepared for those kind of interruptions. He also has a habit of locking me into the shed. <laughs> See, I only have a 33-year-old to contend with, but he just comes in to give me cups of coffee. So I'm really not going to complain at this point. I haven't taught why to do that just yet, but uh, <laughs> it's coming down the line. <laughs> Um, and we do hope you're all keeping safe and well and also staying sane and checking in on each other remotely, of course, during this kind of challenging time for, for all of us. Um, and while we've been working from home, we've actually just boxed off um, two issues of TCT Magazine, which are now available for our listeners to read for free. So if you're looking for some fabulous reading material while in lockdown, head over to tctmagazine.com, click on mag at the top and you can read for free via issue. You can also subscribe to receive future print copies delivered straight to your door for free as well. And um, so today we're going to be giving you a bit of a preview of the content that's in those issues and also discussing the 3D printing industry's response to the COVID-19 crisis. Um, so on the cover of the recent TCT Europe, you'll find a story from EOS on its M290 machine, their benchmark for industrial 3D printing. And on TCT North America, Velo3D is asking six experts for their thoughts and experiences on metal 3D printing without supports. Inside, we're taking a look at AM and healthcare, which was, of course, dominated by the current pandemic, which we'll get into more later, plus a report from a company hoping to print the desktop PC of biology. We also explore the latest in architecture and construction, including an interview by Sam with a product design company, which really printed a redesigned scaffold coupler. And we also looked at post-processing with guest columns from FinTech on Metal AM research and Michael Kerr discussing the advances of next generation debining fluids. Sam also reported back on a visit from GE Additive's Arkham facility in Gothenburg, which feels like a long, long time ago now, um, in our Through the Doors feature. And Sam, you also had a look at the increase in prevalence of AM hardware subscription models for our finance feature. I did, yeah. So um, I worked backwards on that. So I basically was looking for um, quotes from the last couple of years um, from kind of trade shows where the um, ideas of subscription models had popped up and then um i'd i'd had a similar conversation with a user of carbon's m2 machine um for a dental feature we did at the end of 2018 and then i um i spoke to jables john Dolcino's um vp of digital manufacturing and he basically talked us through the process of purchasing equipment um so jable obviously has loads of 3d printers even more cnc machines and injection molding machines um and they not only 
procure machines through kind of capital investments, but are also using um, carbon, which is a subscription model. Um, and he was he was talking about the considerations that go into uh, investing in 3D printing equipment. Um, so how much floor space does it take up? Mm-hmm. Service costs, materials cost, um, the depreciation and amortizing all of that into the cost per part. Uh, and so with a, a kind of standard model where you, you buy a machine outright, <clears throat> you'd maybe finance it over five to 10 years, project the depreciation. And if you underestimate the economic life of the machine, which you would normally do. Um, so and in, in, in the case that you do underestimate the economic life, you would then get to a point where you're essentially running that asset for free um, a few years down the line. Um, similar calculations will be made with a subscription model, but um, the difference would be that you don't tend to own the machine at any point and mm-hmm. therefore don't get to run it for three for free further down the line. Um, the problem with those models, um, for some companies at least, is that it can be quite a big investment. And if you're if you think of a, a startup who, I don't know what the the figures are, but I think the majority of startups, you know, eventually go out of business at some point. Um, and so to adopt the technology with a smaller initial fee or a monthly or annual fee makes a lot more sense than a, a multiple year commitment, um, mm-hmm. particularly at times of kind of economic instability and um, that kind of thing. Um, that was that was the thinking of uh, 90 Labs, who are a composite manufacturing, additive manufacturing vendor, um, similar to kind of what Mark Forged and Eta Print Desktop Metal are bringing to market. Um, and they were saying how their feedback has been that customers would like to make a two-year decision rather than a 10-year decision. Um, mm-hmm. Other benefits of that kind of model is um, swapping out of hardware for updated models for no extra cost, which is the kind of thing that Origin offers their DLP platform, and I think Carbon too. Um, but um, I don't think that works actually for kind of aerospace customers or, or medical um, companies need to validate their processes but um, it's certainly um, if you were an, an automotive manufacturer or even if you were just making kind of internal components um, that that's uh, something that would be of benefit there and um, I think for, for those models as well you, you get your services and um, that kind of thing uh, included too um, from a buyer's perspective so obviously we, we spoke to Burns Dental um, a couple of years ago and and they were saying that they although they'll never get to own their carbon machines, um, they're they're much more comfortable with the fact that they they know exactly how much they need to turn over within a, a three year time frame than a a ten year time frame. And mm-hmm. if uh, demand goes up or goes down, they can they can give a machine back or take a machine on. Um, Jable mentioned that even though they obviously um, you know count the numbers and, and look into that deeply that. At the end of the day, quality comes first, and and if they've compared two models and and both make economic sense, then they're going to look at which one is more likely to address a greater range of applications as soon as their current orders kind of go away. John was saying that um, most of their programs only last maybe six to twelve months, and then they need yeah. to figure out how to use that machine uh, further down the line. I think from from looking into both sides and and talking to companies who offer both models, um, customers who who buy with both models, I think I'm on of the opinion that um, if possible, vendors should really try and 
offer both of these models. I know that's something Origin does. Um, if if a company would prefer to kind of just buy the machines outright, then mm-hmm. then they allow that to happen. And I think with offering those um, both of those models, then they're going to be accessing a, a broader range of customers. Um, whether it's you know kind of multinational massive companies like a, a GE or, or some of the big automotive and aerospace guys. Um, but also the kind of startups who who would like to bring the technology in house, but maybe are at the minute constrained to either um, using the kind of cheaper um, FFF desktop machines or, or even kind of outsourcing that. Um, I think especially when you consider that I think most companies seem to make their money on the per- the purchase of consumables like materials anyway. If they can find a way to um, offer both models then they should be able to reach a, a wider amount of customers mm-hmm. in a um in like a nod to your headline sam it's quite similar isn't it in, to car buying mm. you know we have a lot of people leasing has become very popular in the uk leasing cars but if you <clears throat> depending on what way inclined you are you might want to invest in a car and buy it and then eventually once you've paid it off yeah then, you know, it's your car to run for free and all it costs you is petrol, which could be material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but absolutely. at the same time, it's depreciating and you might need to get it fixed. It's the same kind of thing. And that's why people go for those lease models of cars. And it's a similar situation with machinery. Yeah, I think um, I spoke to TriTech 3D and they were saying that um, if you if you took out a, a machine on a finance model, you in a kind of similar way to how the subscription models work, you can you can trade in and upgrade your hardware. But with a finance model, you're probably going to have to um, pay a little bit more for the for the upgraded hardware, and then kind of restructure the finance model. With the subscription models, it it does seem that they're willing to kind of just give you the upgraded hardware for no extra cost, um, at least with some of them anyway. So I think there are some kind of intricate differences, but um, I think the I think the main one for for most companies is the owning of the machine and. Um, although I think a lot of companies are happy to just pay a, a monthly fee and never, never own the machine or an annual fee and never own the machine, I think a lot will want to get the kind of the gains of, of running it for free further down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly in something like series production for aerospace, as you man- mentioned, I can't foresee a time when aerospace industry is going to adopt that kind of model because what we've seen is that they tend to get a machine, then they spend a long time, a lot of money qualifying it. Yeah. They don't want to be in a subscription model there where it might get pulled away or mm-hmm. it's connected to the cloud or whatever. They they want their machine to just run and know that that supply chain is is going to be there for the long term. Yeah, well, uh, Chris Pruker, the Origin CEO, was saying that um, one of the perks of their subscription model is that if their machine breaks down, they can just they can swap it out and give them give their customer a new machine to keep their their production t- taken along. But if you were to do that with an aerospace company, it wouldn't work because they would then need to recertify it. So um, for, for their aerospace clients, they would um, they would just try and fix the the machine that's faulty on site and then and get them back up to speed. Have we seen, like Chris Connery, who is the VP of 3D printing at a market research firm Context, has mentioned before that, Occasionally in the market, there's a little bit of trepidation, especially when in a market where there is so much innovation that 
people don't like to buy a machine because a new one might come out down the line. Mm. You know, it's the same same model as iPhones and yep. smartphones. But I think, as you say, that kind of like subscription service allows people to be a little bit more flexible instead of just laying out a load of money. Yeah, I imagine I that would be... Um, I did ask uh, John at Jable about that. Obviously, um, Jable's like a multi-billion dollar company, so it's not so much of a problem for a company like Jable. They can probably afford to to buy a machine and then buy an upgrade in the machine and and the the old machine can still be of use obviously and they can then benefit from the upgrade as well but i for smaller companies i think you're right like if if they're seeing this technology um still develop and still improve and companies most companies are still bringing out machines every year or two then you might be a bit hesitant um and, and kind of just think well i'll let the the service provider um service bureau invest in that in those upgrades and then just outsource the the 3d printing i also wonder like with regards to that as well whether you would see companies being a bit more willing to back subscriptions from startups because you you might naturally worry that that's as you said at the start of this that that startup might disappear at some stage and you don't want to be left with a machine that isn't supported anymore yeah. by a company that doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. if you've got a smaller monthly cost, then that's all that matters. Yeah, perhaps. There's a, there's a lot of layers to this, and it is a really interesting piece just seeing how companies have made that business decision for themselves. And, you know, I remember um, back at AMUG a few years ago when it was announced that Carbon's machine was going to be a, a subscription model, and it was quite it was quite a big a big news story, really. But it's interesting seeing um, a company like the, like the Dental and um, Bernstein, you mentioned before, that, that that really, really works for them. So it probably is opening up to a lot more people that maybe couldn't afford those initial capital um, costs to start with. Um, so elsewhere in, in this issue, um, Dan, you've been speaking to our executive advisory board members and getting their tales of caution from AN's earlier days. Um, this time you spoke to Jeremy Pullen and he's quite a storyteller, isn't he? Yeah, well, Jess used to, before my time of editing the magazine, used to have a fairly uh, regular column uh, in the in the magazine, which was quite highly thought of. Jez is a very, he's, he's very wordy, Jez, so he's you know, quite hard to edit down into one page, which I asked him to do originally. He managed to do three pages somehow. Uh, but Je- Jeremy, or Jez, as we all know him, is now head of AM and designed to manufacture at Sartorius. Uh, but in that, in this column, he's kind of talking about his time when he was at Renishaw um, and he was asked by the boss, Sir David McMurtry, to... Uh, to 3D print a birthday gift, something he described as quite unusual. Um, and it was in the early days of, when not when Renishaw was uh, using metal machines, but when they were using polymer machines, an EOS machine to prototype with. Um, he was asked to create a 90th birthday gift for uh, one of Jez's personal heroes, which is Dr. Alex Moulton. Um, and, well... Without spoiling too much, uh, certainly um, Jez spins a hell of a story about what David McMurtry expected from the 3D printer. Mm-hmm. I think that the the um, the previous column as well, if you've not read that from Grant Romans, about, is a story that he's told me on many an occasion. Is about, um, it's called A Fly in the Ointment, and it's about how he 3D printed something and it hadn't quite cured right. And, one of the things we're trying to look to do with this column is 
give these like t- cautionary tales about cool down times, about post processing, about those things that you don't necessarily think about when you have a 3D printer from people who've been using it for a long, long time. But do it through kind of like a, a nice anecdotal way rather than a uh, technical article standpoint. I, I I really like this one. I mean, it was just a picture in Jez's stress when his uh, <laughs> his poor guy is expecting to just break out apart from uh, from this cake, and it just is not going to work at all. But miraculously, it does kind of work in the end. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this was a, a really good one. But I, I loved um, Graham Trowman's as well in the in the previous issue too, and I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be quite a good series because, as you said, it's those kind of those kinds of bits of the process that people really don't think about or maybe just don't realise are part of uh, of getting a part finished. Mm. And like Dan said, you hear these stories all the time at trade shows and it'll be good yeah. to kind of get them down in writing and um, not just kind of keep them exclusively to, um, you know, a bar in the Hilton Hotel in Chicago. <laughs> well, especially seeing as we're not really doing trade shows at the moment so they yeah. are they're on hold for this moment in time uh it's nice to get those kind of like tales told that you tend to hear time and time again nice mm-hmm. to get them written down mm-hmm. um and i guess sort of a couple of highlights for me for for this issue again is about those conversations that you would normally have on a trade show floor so um so i've been speaking to um marie langer ceo of eos and Fried van crane ceo of materialize um for our executive q a series and um, so these were two completely separate conversations, not intentionally focused on this topic that they both ended up being focused about, but they both circled on the idea of sustainability and how additive manufacturing um, is seen as a sustainable process, but there's a lot more work that, that can be done to actually make that um, a reality. Um, so it was, just, it was just great to talk to these people. You know, you've got Freed, who's had 30 years in this industry, um, so, much, so much history with it. You know, he genuinely... He genuinely cares about using the technology to, to create a, a better world. And you truly do get a sense of that when you're speaking to him. I know Dan, as you've said a few times, is one of your favourite people to, even though you shouldn't have favourites, favourite people to interview um, in this industry. Um, but then also you've got Marie Langer as well, who is, is new to the role of CEO at EOS. But um, sustainability is one of the things that, that she's really keen to focus on. But at the same time, she may have not been um, she may have not been CEO for a very long time, but she's witnessed this industry um, since she was a child. Um, so it's been really nice to get the perspectives of, of those two people, and we've included little snippets of those interviews in our Q and A section. But you can actually hear them in full as well on episodes thirty three and thirty five um, of this podcast. So um, check back through um, through our previous episodes there. And another thing as well on this issue, um, enjoy might be the wrong word to use, but I've really appreciated here from the first round of companies for a healthcare feature um, who had very quickly mobilised their teams to start manufacturing um, PPE and components for use by those on the front line of the COVID-19 crisis, um, which we're going to go into a bit more detail um, now on, actually. So uh, let's get that topic started. Um, This topic has really um, consumed our industry for the last few weeks. It's how additive manufacturing companies are responding um, to this crisis. Some are making parts for PPE, things like visors and face shields and headbands for face shields and delivering them directly to key workers and others have joined consortiums to try and rapidly develop new ventilator designs and others are stepping up to manufacture things like test swabs for kits um 
a piece of research from Context, who Dan mentioned earlier, actually, um, this week came out suggesting that many 3D print- printing companies at the minute are switching up their business models from the selling of machines to now becoming more like service providers um, to provide COVID-19 related devices. And we're certainly seeing a- an awful lot of that at the minute. Um, and it's also been interesting to see companies that are not necessarily 3D printing, um, 3D printing machine manufacturers, but people that just have um, 3D printers within their businesses. So like furniture companies, Companies, construction companies and um, even dentists who are now offering to use their technology to make parts you can all check this all out on a live blog that we've been running um, on our website because it's been almost impossible to keep up with the speed um, at which people have reacted to this from our industry and um, so we've been keeping um, daily updates over on tstmagazine.com but it's really involved um, everyone really from big machine manufacturers to, to makers who are making stuff at home and um, most efforts have centered on things like the manufacture of, um, of like polymer halos for visor headbands for protective face shields so companies like Carbon, Stratasys and BCN 3D have already made thousands of these things and sent them to hospitals um, and others have been um, non-medical related devices things like um, like materialize will come up with a door handle design which basically clips onto your door handle so you don't have to use your hand to open doors and um, which you know again it's not it's not for medical use but it's been used to stop the spread of the virus because um you know places like hospitals for example where you know you, you, it's just going to be much safer to, for people to, to use this instead of you know touching these these um, common touch surfaces um, and in fact speed 3d um the australian metal 3d printer company they've just announced um that they've modified the kind of cold spray like technology and um, to now coat metal services in a copper material, which is said to, to kill the COVID-19 virus on contact in around two hours. So that's going to be really useful for use on services on things like like push door plates, for example, um, in these kind of high hygiene environments. So there's been plenty to keep up with. And um, we're going to try and run through a couple of these now. So, Sam, you spoke to um, 3D Printer OS yesterday. Uh, yeah, so that was just a, um, a kind of standard interview. I was um, curious to know about how their technology is being used by their customers and, and their backstory. And um, we got on to talking about um, the Toyota production system and just-in-time manufacturing. And I put it to John how the, the COVID-19 crisis has um, kind of highlighted a weakness in, in just-in-time systems. And mm-hmm. um, he said, while that was the case, it's also highlighted how um well the, the weakness of centralized manufacturing so if you think everyone's um manufacturing is kind of centered on um asia to manufacture their goods and then ship them and, and now we're seeing a, a decentralized um kind of manufacturing of ppe equipment and things like that um which a lot of 3d printing companies like to champion anyway mm-hmm. and put forward as as a something that their technology and equipment can enable um and so they're obviously a uh, 3d printer os if you don't know the company or a 3d printing management software provider um they started with kind of university makerspaces and and their clientele now includes some big corporate names um i think microsoft and, and maybe google and, and people like that um and for for the COVID nineteen response, um, for their effort, they've they've used their software, um, and so they have like a a map which shows all of their users around the world, um, and then they have a similar map to that showing people who use their system and have volunteered to print parts in the mm-hmm. app, and so people can just go onto the three D printer OS website, 
upload files, um, find a kind of a local volunteer, and um, you can see what uh, what machine this person is is using or how many machines they have and and the kind of experience they have. I think um, one of the people he he uh, John uh, the CEO found in I think it was Brazil had um, thousands and thousands of days of experience um, printing. Um, and so you can just kind of pick that person to print their part and uh, and and send the file there. And I, I'm not sure what happens from that point in terms of kind of shipping, but um, they, he's got the company have got all, uh, volunteers all over the world who are um, doing their little bit to to kind of help. So is that people with kind of like desktop, I say, consumer based machines then, Sam? Um, so yeah, from from the people he highlighted, they were using kind of um, desktop machines. I think um, the one who had thousands and thousands of days of experience um, was using a MakerBot replicator. Um, they do they do support, um, although their background is is in um, kind of desktop FFF, three D printer OS do support um, a whole host of uh, machines and processes. But I'm, I I would imagine most of the volunteers. Particularly, the the individuals will be using desktop machines. I'm I'm not sure whether there are kind of um, corporate and industrial clients who are also um, volunteering. It it would be great if they did so because obviously that you could then, if you needed a, a, a batch of of parts in a in a local area, you could then kind of achieve that scale, which you you're probably going to struggle with on a on a small desktop machine. Mm-hmm. I think that the desktop industry has been quite an interesting one to watch in all this because when it when people kind of started out saying, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna make parts and we're we're gonna you know we're gonna make a new ventilator," and, and people just kind of said, "Well, hang on, that might not necessarily work because you need the right design files, you need the right certifications, and we can't really we can't really trust people to make these kind of things in their garages at home." And um, but I think it's kind of found its place now, particularly in these like FDM machines, which were the ones that people were kind of a bit mm, about to start with. Mm. Um, because, you know, we are aware that a, a lot of these devices do need to come from very stringent validated supply chains. And early on, the images we saw were kind of these like hackathon challenges of people um, trying to create um, a new ventilator type. And people were obviously rightly concerned. But um, I think now we're seeing with the, the PPE provision and the fact that people can print these parts that as long as they can be sterilized and, and clean, they don't necessarily need to be like properly validated. And as, as far as I know, no one is actually saying, oh, yes, this part is completely suitable for medical use. Um, but, it, but it has been interesting to see how that has really picked up. And um, Prusa Research is one of the, the companies that probably led one of the biggest efforts so far. I mean, their factory itself runs over a thousand printers and they've been asking their community of users because, you know, it's a huge maker community um, to help with things like these um, these face shields, which they've designed the, the halos for and they're, they're busy working on other bits. But, you know, they've been very clear to point out that any kind of designs they're putting out there, they are working with governing bodies and medical professionals to, to make sure that these parts are, are actually suitable um, for use and there's also um, people like Matter Hackers over in the US who sell um, various um, various different desktop machines and they've also been calling out to their members as well to get people to send stuff to hospitals and they've already you know had many um, good success stories of, of hospitals that have received those parts and so it, it's nice seeing that that's kind of gone from you know everybody quickly stepping up and rushing to help and you know it's actually found a place 
now and it is, is, is genuinely um, being used because I, I think for a while it felt like there were there were a lot of people just kind of putting the hand up and, and, and offering to help with with printing devices and you know um there wasn't really a clear pathway to get those products um into the right hands and, and get them approved and it's kind of been pointed out that it, it needs to be a, a little bit more a little bit more streamlined and dan you've been talking to america makes so we're sort of trying to help with that with this new um repository they've got online yeah i mean america makes obviously their partners with tct and one of the things that we've been getting a lot of is a lot of emails from people saying can you help to promote our repository or can you help to uh, promote this, this, this? And it's hard because, as you said, Laura, about the live blog, it's impossible to keep up with them all. Mm-hmm. And like it's, a, it's hard to know which one to back, if you know what I mean. I don't mean like which one. I mean, just like my worry is at the end of this, hopefully these things have helped. But a worry for me is that, you know, they're not we're not qualifying things and they're not getting through the process. But what America makes have done is in collaboration with um, the National Institute of Health and Veterans Affairs. They've kind of set up this like repository where people can submit their ideas and their designs and America Makes will go away and they will qualify that and then they'll have the repository where people can then go on and print the models. Uh, I like that system. I also like the system of like the way that, as you mentioned, people have just like geared up and gone quick. I like a genuine serious question I have, which is without sounding flippant, is like, so I've got a MakerBot set next to me in the shed. Where do you get the plastic, like the the sheet from? <laughs> this yeah. really, like, I don't know. They seem to just be readily available. And I know it's just like see-through acetone, but I can't acetate. I can't. I was thinking the other day I might design them for when I go to the shop or yeah. hand them up to my family members. But then I don't know where you'd get those bits from. No, it, it's true. I mean, 3D printing companies have been very clear about the fact that they are just manufacturing like the, the halos. And um, I guess a lot of them must be working with partners to get this stuff. And maybe there is just surplus uh, acetate material to, to use these kind of things. But uh, yeah, there's. Um, I don't know where you could go and buy some from, Dan, to go and make yourself a, go and make yourself a mask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from my point of view, it's, it was like straight away um, amazing to see the reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time you do kind of like think oh well this is this is great for 3d printing because as sam said before it's like the this has proven what 3d printing can do we can be flexible and we can build up straightly and even if you are prototyping parts for a ventilator that's going to get out there and then you can go away and injection mold that part it's really it's still an important part of the process and it's you know we're called tct time compression technologies and we are all about trying to reduce time to market Mm-hmm. And these things are massively doing that. Um, it's a, and there, there is also this like argument that, you know, it, it's a if you are a healthcare professional and this is what try, America makes trying to do, I think all of that information could be a little bit overwhelming. Like, yeah. where would you start? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, who do you start with? Who do you trust the most? And you know, without calling names out here, there have definitely been like some people who are using it as a. A vehicle for marketing i don't yeah. like it's academic whenever there's a crisis something like that happens uh and not necessarily when someone uses something from as a vehicle for marketing it could end up being quite good but um it's it, the information is a little bit overwhelming and i do think that that's why it's important for the likes of america makes and I, i'm not entirely sure to be honest if we have anything like that in the uk i know that um bays are trying to set it have been putting a call out for all manufacturers to start on ventilators mm-hmm. um but 
you know, there, there doesn't seem to be this like central repository of uh, the, the NHS of getting involved. And I suppose all of those people are too busy to be yeah. dealing with this little, this side thing. They're too busy with slightly more important things, let's say. Um, but it's very difficult, isn't it, to try and like, to sort the wheat from the chaff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing I've been asking at any 3D printer companies I've been speaking to that have said they've made parts. I've been saying, okay, but how are you actually getting these into the hands of people? Do, you know, is there a clear route? Do do, do these healthcare providers, like, know where to go to to ask these kind of things? How do they know what's actually, you know, what what actually works? How do they know how to, you know, some of this stuff, you know, you might need to be, have a quick tutorial on on, on how to use some of this stuff and how to clean things properly. So there does need to be a kind of a, a centralized place for all that to happen. And like like the ventilator thing that, that you just mentioned, Dan, I mean, our government put the call out about, maybe it was about a month ago now, to help with the um with the manufacture of, of ventilators. And, you know, it was, it was very much like, you know, we're kind of, spare no expense you know we, we we just want people to we want people to volunteer and companies responded in their in their thousands and um you know that that, that was kind of great but at the same time you know there's a lot of companies responding that maybe don't have the experience of making medical parts maybe you know it, it's not like an easily transferable skill you know you might have be you might be a designer but that doesn't mean to say translates to, to to making something like this and you do need the right bodies in there to um you know, to, 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 to govern these parts and to make sure that the bits you're, you're making are actually correct and that they are actually suitable. Um, and it, it, it has been good, though, because I think I think it was 1,400 companies we heard maybe about a week after um, a week after the call out went out that had actually responded to this. And a lot of 3D printing companies got in touch with those asked, asking how do they even get involved with that? Because it was a little bit difficult to see the, 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 the clear route to that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of them that will volunteer, their, their offer may not have been taken up. But um, Renishaw, for example, was um, one of the companies that um, I know they, the cabinet office had, had contacted directly um, to help make parts for a ventilator. And it, it's nice now to see that while it's not additive manufacturing, um, that they have actually been part of a project now, which is actually, um, it, it's going through. So, so that's good. But um, at the same time, we've had um, Formula One teams in the UK that are all, um, I think it's called Project Pit Lane, that have all been coming up with um, with, with new ideas for these um, for ventilators. And um, I know that 3D Systems On Demand in the UK was part of one of those projects and they'd printed like thousands of these ventilator parts over one weekend but then come Monday that that project was, was actually scrapped um so you know it's just it, it is about having that kind of clear idea of, of of what we're doing and I appreciate that not every single idea is going to is going to come to fruition but you know it, I think that people just need to need, need to know how, how to help and you know where, where are they best placed really and at the end of this it could very well be that 3D printing stands up and we say, look how good it was for this. Yeah. And this is how you could be used. And it's a great uh, advertisement for what the technologies can do in the future. And that's kind of what you've got, you've got to hope from our perspective is that that is the case. Yeah, especially when you consider that for a long time, um, the companies that occupy this this space have, have been saying that, you know, that this is what it's good for. And, and you know, now's come a time where it's they they're needed and, hopefully um you know there are some good success stories where you know one the 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 technology and the parts made from the technology have been appreciated in in such an urgent time but also that they've actually worked and and you know that they can there is a a kind of pathway then from from which companies can start integrating the technology properly Mm -hmm. it certainly found its way into the uh 
public conscience that uh, 3D printing is doing things for COVID-19 purposes. I think you text the other day, Gloria, to say, has anyone else's relatives been onto them about uh, one that had appeared on BBC Breakfast? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I had several texts from family members about that. And then I've had other ones later this week of family members who, it turns out, have no idea what I actually do and have been asking, oh, are you printing those masks? Nope, that's that's not what I do. Okay. It makes a change for you 3D printing those guns. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's very true. Well, and that's kind of what I wanted to say. You know, you you guys have both pointed out that it's now turned the conversation over to look how good 3D printing is for stuff like that. And I'm so glad because, you know, for the first few years when I started working here, I was sick of every time I opened my Google Alerts, there was always something about a, a 3D printed gun in there. And now I'm just, as, as awful as this current situation is, it, it's it's kind of comforting to know that we are in an industry that is is been used for for good at the minute and all, and also an industry that is able to mobilize quickly yes like it, that's that that's when probably the most interesting thing from my perspective uh, you know i think there'll be studies done about this in the in years to come about how quickly the 3d printing industry was able to turn its attention mm-hmm. to a specific project mm-hmm. and you know we've often seen these like uh, studies about 3d printing houses in crisis zones and things but this is appears to be like that you know in action now yeah and there's another one that i wanted to highlight actually just talking about that kind of you know quick mobilization of of people and um it's a new um, consortium of 3d printing companies and academic institutions that have come together to uh to make um swabs for testing kits um so that includes carbon form labs envision tech origin with have medical school stanford medical center um universities um university of florida and Ohio State, U.S. Army, and um, so they've developed a wholly three D print, uh, wholly three D printed um, class one FDA registered um, swabs, um, which are now ready to actually be mass manufactured um, and, and go out to the people that need them. So they've set up a website called um, printedswabs.org, and this must have all been done in about the space of, of two weeks because I first saw images of carbon three D printing um, these these swabs back then, and, and now all of these other companies have, have gotten board and they're all printing them too, and um, desktop metal as well, and their CEO. Full up is also leading the task force, um, along with, um, with figures from Harvard University and Harvard Medical School. Um, so it's just been great to see this come together so quickly. Um, they think that they're able to produce around four million per week, um, for use across the US, and they're all going to be manufactured, um, with a network of verified um, facilities. It's been really great to see because that's, um, you know, while most people have been printing the, um, the, the PPE it, this is something that's also so much in need um you know we, we, we need more testing we need more of these kits and you know you these, these are tiny little devices you can pack so many of those into into one bill plate on something like a like a form of machine or an envision tech machine and um it, it, it's just been an, another really really nice example of how um, the industry has just thought really quickly about how we could how we could really use this technology for 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 good Mm, the versatility of it is good as well but it's not just one use case i know most of them are uh components for for face shields but you do have um test and swabs you do have um, components that can convert uh, masks into makeshift ventilators there are quite a few applications to come out of um the effort Mm -hmm. yeah and like something you mentioned there laura about like the fda joining and obviously they're joining in with the America Makes Initiative, it's interesting to see for, you know, we've previously been beset with this, like, feeling that the authorities and the the likes of the FDA 
haven't been able to keep up with the rate of innovation of 3D printing and it's slowed down. It's been a rate limiting step for the adoption of the technologies. Yeah. But if, if let's say this does all work and you know it has a significant benefit, that's going to really make them sit up and say, actually, we need to take this seriously now and start moving it forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice note to end on there, actually. So um, thank you all very much for listening. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe for more Additive Insight episodes. Uh, and also while you're there as well, you can subscribe to our Additive Insight newsletter, which will direct um, all the biggest reader printing news straight to your inbox um, every Sunday. So uh, thanks a lot. Bye, everyone, and stay safe.